All right, well, <clears throat> if you have not been with us the last couple of weeks, we have taken several weeks to allow ourselves to reflect on who God is, his promises, how he got us here, and also what he is doing. So two weeks ago, we asked the question, you know, how, how, how is it that God got us here? What's the journey that got us here? And so if you missed that, I encourage you to watch that online because it's a great recollection of all the different moments, these promises and pillars that God set in our hearts that we lived, and we can also see how that was true in Scripture, and then it is true for us today, too. It's a wonderful parallel. Last week, we took a week to pray and remember that there is waiting in God's timing, and so we were delayed in our closing, and it became a wonderful, teachable moment for all of us in ways that we're also waiting in other areas of life. And today is this collective celebration that answers what now does God have for us? Is this the finish line? Wow, we got here, and now we're done. Well, we will be if Jesus comes back during the sermon. But if he doesn't, then we still have work to do. And so we're gonna answer that question, what does God have for us now? You know, in my first college class, I still remember, and I don't remember much of college, but I still remember the opening statement that our professor made, my mind must have just been so crisp and ready to learn, right? And so here it is, this first class, first opening stuff, that the professor describes how a building is built upon a foundation, and the higher or the bigger that this building is, the deeper and stronger that foundation must be. And he was explaining to us to not just get ahead of ourselves and look for what might be in the future 10, 20 years later, but to really allow ourselves to go through the process of all that God would teach us, not only in school, but in life and all that kind of stuff, during internships and other things. That's been on my mind for years as I have wondered and waited on the Lord to move in this church as he's been building a foundation. And as I look at the last seven and a half years as a church, and even farther, depending on how you count, there has been a foundation that's been set. It's been slowly going over time. After the first year or two, I thought that was the foundation. Now, you know, no, there's more foundation. And I would say even up until this point, the foundation has finally been set. And I was curious, like, is, you know, is, it, is it possible to even build something on a, without a foundation? And so just yesterday, I did a quick Google search, just kind of for fun, because I was curious what the description would be, and I, I wrote, can you build a house without a foundation? And the answer was, the simple answer is that, of course you can, as long as you don't need it to stand for long. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. And it went on to say, historically, houses without a foundation have tended to be simple affairs built around an earth floor, which weren't designed to last. After nearly eight years here, we have experienced God grounding us, establishing us, founding us. Second Thessalonians chapter three has these two verses here. It says, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And one of the large steps of our congregation's foundation during this time has been the acquiring of this barn and this property. And so I would like to make a few observations during this journey, just mention some, and then we're going to look at two different exhortations for us as a church family. And so 
as I think about these observations, I'm reminded of Psalm 77, 11 and 12. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so let us remember a few things. First of all, our spiritual foundation is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the foundation. And so we see in Ephesians chapter two, a wonderful description here. It speaks for itself. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with all the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Friends, we have to remember that no matter whether we have a structure slash facility or not, no matter where God may take us in time, our foundation has to be anchored in Jesus Christ. There, there's a famous story in the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus describes two different men building things. One builds on a rock, one builds on sand. The guy who builds on sand, the rain comes and then the house washes out. The one who builds on the rock, the rains roll in and the, the thunder and the storm is there, but the house remains solid. If, then this, is, this is our opening observation here because this is so important. If your foundation of your life is not on Jesus Christ, the, the house of your life will wash out. It just will. And so I want to urge you to take Jesus Christ seriously. If you don't know him, commit to knowing more about him. I will, me, the people got baptized, all sorts of folks in here would love to walk with you in explaining why it is that we do believe in Jesus Christ. It's not just some uh, flippant decision. So know who Christ is. And if you do know who he is, grow in that relationship every day, keeping Christ the center of your life. The temptation all around you is to make him secondary or to add him on later, but you have to fight to keep him the priority. And if you do, he will be your foundation. He is spiritually that foundation if you're a follower of Christ because he's immovable, he's unchanging, even though you might change and ebb and flow in different ways. But we wanna cultivate that. So first of all, first observation, spiritual foundation is Christ. Christ is the foundation of this church, whether we have a building or not. Secondly, and it's this, it's this, God's presence is based upon our devotion and our faithfulness, not the building itself. And so think of it this way. My, my, my prayer, my urgency here is that God's presence would be among our church family, whether or not there's a building or not. God's presence is more important than the structure itself. So think about the Old Testament. It was beautiful. And Solomon dedicated this. Psalm, or, uh, 1 Kings 8 is that prayer. I was reading some of it. Well, eventually, due to the Israelites' disobedience, God's presence was removed. His glory was removed from that temple. So that temple still stood there, but God's presence wasn't there. And that wasn't just a waste of a space. And so, friends, we have to fight for God's presence to be here. It's not about the, the walls or the ceiling or the roof. It is about God's presence. An empty facility of God's presence is a blot on kingdom work. And so this building is a tool and God will use it for his purposes. And again, let me reread this, this verse I, I said in the prayer because I just love it so much. 1 Kings eight twenty nine. this phrase, which it says, uh, my name shall be there. My name shall be there. Friends, if you wanna pray for our church, one way you can pray is that God's name would be here, that'd be marked on this, this spot. 
and not even for us who are here, and I'll get into this in a moment, but a lot of us who are here, we're the ones that have uh, seen God move in our lives, seen him provide for us so that we can make this happen. But what about like our kids, grandkids, passing on who Jesus is, who, who God is and why he's worthy of our worship, and fighting for them to say, or, or urging them to fight for God's presence to be full in their lives and in this church. That's the kind of stuff you have to push for, not so much um, brick and mortar or wood and concrete. So that's a, that's a second observation, that God's presence is, is essential. The, the third one is that this is an incredibly special and unique moment for us today because the people gathered here are the ones who obediently responded to God's opportunity for us. What a, what a unique moment in the life of our church family. The ones represented here are the ones who have donated to make this happen, uh, the ones who said yes to God. And this has been quite a journey. If you, if you are, uh, just moved here this summer, maybe you, you missed some of the highlights, but originally we were gonna buy just six acres with possibly an extra seven or so to make it 13. But then it became the whole thing, 22 and the building, and all the different factors that came into place. It has been uh, not quite an adventure, but it has been arduous <laughs> in, its, in a true sense. The Lord provided for you, and he stirred in your heart unity around this common goal. There, it, it is, by God's mercy, he put it on our hearts to say, we have to do this. It is common in moments like this for there to be division among a church or to be uh, gr great difficulty. But within one year, being able to raise the funds to get this in place has been amazing. And I want to thank all of you who sacrificed in different ways, uh, specifically financially. Some of you, a hundred up to, say, thousands or uh, tens of thousands coming together, all of us, one, like all of us putting it in the pot and then bringing it to the Lord, saying this is our honorable sacrifice to you. Will you make this, a lot, give us a chance to buy this? Second Corinthians 9 has a really unique description here in these verses, six through eight. The whole chapter talks about giving financially, but this section is just a unique way that it puts it. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And <clears throat> the, the other day I received this a text from one of our leaders, and, and he said, I think it's so special that because this has just happened, this purchase, everyone that financially con contributed to buying the church building currently attends the church. Something about that seems rather beautiful to me, even though it is also a trivial thing and obvious. Years from now, the original purchasers of the building won't be there for various reasons, but for now, we all, we all are, and it's a wonderful thing to celebrate this weekend. And, uh, and it's true, friends. I, I'm just so, what, what a unique moment in the life of the church, this moment right here. There are three folks that I want to uh, publicly say 
God used in instrumental ways to get us here uh, through this last year. One is our treasure, Brian Clatterbuck, just totally did all this stuff that an executive pastor would do, but we don't have one at the church. And so he just volunteered his time. He just did all this stuff to make sure with our loans to get it. And we have a loan and we got it back in February or March. And so it's at 5% and like, you know, which now sounds low. At the time, we're like, ah, can we get better? You know, so 5%. And he just did so good there. Another is Josh Kreider. God used Josh over here just to, to, to roll in and give us good guidance regarding um, a real estate move at this scale. Several of us have bought homes or do business in this way, but, but not, it's a little bit more delicate when it's up. It's not just you or your, uh, a friend or a business partner. We're talking a whole congregation. And we're a nonprofit. And we're, you know, a church. And so we work off of donations. You do it a whole nother, a whole nother level. And he was so helpful. And lastly, it'd be Crystal Luber, our, our operations director. She just rolled in in very key moments when we needed specific things uh, understood and executed, specifically the last couple of weeks. And I'm just so thankful for, for all three of them. So can, can we actually publicly thank them for their work? Yeah. I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we would not have been able to get this space without their help collectively. Another verse that stands out, and I think about this with this, this I have uh, two more observations. So the this, this, this second to last one here, one observation is just our, our overall price tag and the interest rate that the Lord kept at 5%. I think of this verse, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I have pondered that at length in part because several of you when we did a church a decision back in, in August about all the land. Several of you wrote this verse as a verse that the Lord was prompting, prompting you to say he will provide for it if we're gonna move that way. And it comes to mind as I think about just all the financial side. And then lastly here, this observation is the geography of this location. It conveys kingdom significance in a certain way. Within our town, we have fought to stay to stay you know, local, you know, and not say, hey, let's all move like to another spot that might be better land. So God put us right here in, in the middle of this county and not just in the middle, but on a hill next to a water tank. And there is certain, there is certain uh, unique things as I pray about our church with that. One is Matthew 5. It says, you're a, light on, you're a light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That comes to mind in part because we're literally up on a hill and uh, you just see this giant barn when you drive it on 33 coming this way or either direction here on Amicus. And it's a pretty unique unique thing. Every time I cross the hill from the light at 33 in Amicus and I'm coming over and there's a little bit of a ridge and you can see the barn and the tank and then all the 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 hillside here, and then the mountains. And it, it just, it stands out in a very unique way. But I, I read this verse also just to note, did you notice the last phrase there mentioning that others may see our good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's a great reminder that we, we don't reach this community for Christ 
passively. It, it involves our diligence and our work to reach friends, to serve friends, to love them well, and they will see our genuine, spirit-filled works and then give glory to our Father who's in heaven. So that's one thing, but also the water tank stands out to me in this unique way. So if you don't know, we don't own the tank, right? The county owns the tank, uh, but we drive around the tank. So hey, it's like, <laughs> you know, whatever that is. And this tank flows to this whole section of the community. And uh, we actually met with the water guy and he was explaining how some of that works. And, and I just think of John 7, 37 to 38. It says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There is some sort of unique reality that captures my, my heart. And that is we're next to this tank and in the same way that this water's flown to this, this section of our county, so do we want spiritual water, the water of Jesus Christ, his, him as a living water to flow to every house here as we share the gospel and what we're doing here that it would flow into the community. So there's that kind of mindset that comes to mind. <clears throat> Frankly, there's like 30 other observations I'd love to walk through and I actually hit on several of them the previous two weeks because we just knew there'd be so much to pack in here. What I want us to focus our attention on now is two exhortations that we must, we must look at to, to answer what does God have for us now or, or what does God want us to do or how are we to build upon the foundation that he has set for us? Great question. I got two for you. First of all, to know Christ, to know Jesus Christ. John 17, three says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, we are now at this spot as a church family, and it, for you as an individual and for us as a church, my commitment, my prayer, um, my uh, <clears throat> pleading with you for our church is that we would know Christ and experience Christ with greater zeal, with greater determination, with greater urgency, and with greater joy. That this wouldn't seem like a finish line, but I, in fact, it actually, it would be beginning what is next for us. I remember at my wedding, we got married 12 and a half years ago or so, and I remember, I think I was talking to my dad, but I was talking to somebody, and, and I after the wedding was over, I was like, I finally did it. Because Lynn and I did it for like five years. It was a little on again, on again, off again. And I was like, I don't know if we're ever gonna get married. And so when you're just waiting, 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 all this buildup. And <laughs> finally got married. I was like, I finally did it. And I, <clears throat> I remember the response to the person. Uh, they said, well, now it's just beginning. And I was like, oh yeah, it is. Good thing I really love her, you know? Because I was like, so fixated on getting married I, uh, in my youthfulness, I hadn't even considered that, uh, no, like all the dating and engagement period, well, that was a foundation to set for what was gonna be ahead because now the real work is, is going. That's why when we think about our anniversary, we, we take it to the wedding day. We don't take it back to when we met a long time, almost 20 years ago. <clears throat> and so I think about that for us today. This is almost like a wedding day for us. This is not, this is not the, the end this is, in fact, the beginning. The foundation has been set. Now let us go get some work done. Joshua 1 has a, has a lengthy, lengthy passage in here. And I read this immediately after we closed I, uh, the, and all the, signing all the paperwork at the attorney's office, sat in the car, and I opened Joshua 1. 
and I read through some of this, and it hit me in a fresh way. And so I'd like to read it for you too. Um, perhaps it'll kind of hit you in a fresh way as well. Joshua 1, 5 through 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I think this, these are God's words to Joshua. I think about this as God's words to us, all right? <clears throat> not, not just to me, but to our, us as a church family. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Uh, he says it again, but I'm gonna pause here to say, the temptation will be to cower. The temptation will be to pull back. The temptation will be to, to not pioneer, not stand up for truth, not push truth against darkness, the whole thing, in different ways. The temptation will be to be fearful, whatever it may be. No, be strong and courageous. It continues, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. In our case, we don't have just the law. We actually have the entire Bible, including the New Testament. And so let us you know, look at this. So it says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And, and then, and so, you know, think about the Bible, the entire thing, not just the law. We read this that we, and we don't want to turn left or right from it, and we want to meditate on it day and night. I'm going to do that. I need you to do that. We're all gonna do that together and watch God grow us as a church family, deepen our love for him and, and expand who we are as a church in this community. But then catch this phrasing here at the very end of verse eight. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So many of us might read on the top five ways to be prosperous or successful in whatever job you're in or in your family or as an individual, self-leadership, whatever it might be. Friends, that as Christians, our first step in being successful begins with God and his word. And so treasure this. Use God's word as a chance to know him and cultivate a relationship with him. Not some sort of religious duties and the checklist of things to do this, to do that, you know, go to church or give money or serve we do those things out of an overflow of what God has already done in our heart. We don't do those things to get approval from God or anything like that. And so if you're wondering, how, how, do you, how are you prosperous? How do you have good success? You might be watching YouTube's on, uh, YouTube channel or, or videos on this stuff and find yourself learning different things. But as a Christian, never neglect God's word. A lot of our friends or business partners or others, they, they will not see the same sort of mindset. But you know this. I'm telling you this. We see this in God's word. We know to treasure God's word, and so do so, and you will see God go before you. And then the last verse here, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whole chapter is fantastic, but that little snippet of verses I wanna highlight. So our first exhortation is to know Christ with greater diligence, with greater fervency, that we would press in, we would cultivate, we would be stronger a year from now than we have been, say, the last six or seven years. And watch what God will do in our church. Watch what he will do in your own life. So know Christ. Secondly, to disciple others. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
I read this verse, it feels like every week. It says, and Jesus came to them and, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We wanna make disciples of Christ with greater zeal and determination and urgency and joy and fervor. We wanna press in on this. this. This begins with those in your own family, could be your own children or a spouse or a parent, discipling them to know Christ, to walk in his way as you are also walking with Jesus Christ. That begins, or that I would say begins with your family, but it continues into those who are friends, those who are coworkers, those who are classmates, those who are neighbors, and then random people that you will meet who are not your neighbor and not your coworker or anything like that, but it's, it's a God moment and a, and a God-forged relationship and you will know them. Some of them will be in this church, some of them might not be in the church due to distance or they worship somewhere else, but we disciple them and we want to do this with fullness. As I think about discipling the next generation, or, and when I say next, what I really mean is the current one. I mean the one that you're living in. We must disciple our generation, and if we don't, somebody else will disciple them in the ways of whatever belief or pursuit that person has. So disciple your kids, or somebody else will. Disciple one another, or somebody else will. And I don't mean somebody else will in, in line with Jesus Christ and his word and his truth. I mean all the kind of stuff that's out there right now, from secularism to just blatant lies about who God is and where eternity, um, anything regarding eternal, eternal things. We wanna disciple those in our group and our serve teams or whatever sphere of influence God has called you to steward faithfully. This is a command, Matthew 28, it's the command. Go therefore and make disciples. This is not optional for followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. You know, what marks us? <clears throat> and I guess you could say a lot of things, like we love Jesus Christ. Yes, and we are also disciplers. We wanna make people know who Jesus is. And so God will use our diligence to accomplish this work, our prayer and our intercession, our boldness to share faith or defend the faith rather than cowering to cultural garbage, our sacrifice to serve others and not just preserve and protect ourselves but really giving of ourselves in sacrificial ways. And if we fail to disciple well as a church going forward, if, we, if, if God has done a great foundation, but if we fail to disciple, then we are like those homeowners who build a foundation, pour a slab, and then they don't build a house on top of it. Have you guys ever seen those properties? Around here once in a while we have those. And I'm sorry if you're one of those people. I didn't, <clears throat> I'm not thinking of that with you in mind. I'm just thinking of how that tends to happen in which there's a piece of property and then somebody makes a basement or they pour a slab or they build a foundation and then uh, the house never gets built. And it's for different reasons. Builders run out of money or plans change, whatever it might be. But we're driving by it over and over and we're like, are they ever gonna build a house? And then it's like, no. And then one day maybe somebody buys the land and builds on it. If, if we don't build upon the foundation that God has given us now, we're like those people. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of an embarrassment to the, to the church because like to the church um, 
big picture church, because God has done a work here and he's given us all the tools, specifically the Holy Spirit at work within us. That's really the only tool you need, but he's given us all these things, all these, um, this space, you, like each of you in all your gifting, all your different spheres of influence. None of that's coincidence. None of that's um, by your own making. God has you all where he wants you, gifted you with strengths and spiritual gifts in different ways that he wants you to all work as a church family to reach this community. He's placed us all here at this given moment. He could have had us all in different cities, all in different places around the world. But no, we're here, worshiping here right now and most of us living in this area. And so we must build upon this foundation. But how we build upon the foundation matters. 1 Corinthians 3 Verse 10 begins this way. Let me read a couple of these verses. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. This is Paul talking because he planted this church and then he um, moved away. So he's, you know, he's talking about how the, the guys that came in after him are building upon it. And he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Taking care, right? So, Verse 11 continues, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We already talked about that. Christ is our foundation, but we do build, we do build upon it. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We get to build upon the foundation of, of this church. Now this passage applies, I, I would apply it to both to you as an individual, as a follower of Christ. Christ is your foundation. He's a cornerstone of your life and he's building upon, you know, like within you as a, as a person who is the temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But then even as a collective church family, this extends to this too. And that is that we, as a church family, are to build upon the work that Christ has done. And so <clears throat> with every effort that God has given us, we wanna have unique ways and obedient ways to fulfill what God has called us to do. Some of these things are super familiar. We've been doing them for years. And God keeps calling us to do those things, whether it's through the legacy boxes that we'll do in a couple weeks to this community at Christmas time or what we just finished up with, with the Harvest Festival and just a huge chance for a bunch of people to gather. All these different ways, <clears throat> like wild game dinners and different camps in the summer and our co-op, Amicus Road Academy, different mission trips, the church plants, all that stuff we wanna continue to do. But let me encourage you to specifically think about reaching at least one person with the gospel and, and then after that person, another person. But rather than going one at a time, let's just like blitz the whole community, sharing the gospel with everybody that we can, treating it like somebody who is, uh, if you're like me, I'll use me. I plant grass seed, I don't, and, and when I do, sometimes it grows in places and sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't always catch. But I don't know what will, so I just throw it all in the spot. I may not be even doing it right, but I'm just chucking it everywhere and hoping it grows. And I want to encourage you to share your faith in a way where you're just sharing it with everybody. And for this person over here or that person over there, at that given moment, it might be their time to receive 
that gospel word. Or you can even think about fishing. If you're like me, I'm not very successful in fishing. I don't think it's me, but I, uh, I'm starting to become the only common denominator of the equation. <laughs> and so I'll just cast the line over and over and over again. And I can do it for a long time and I might only catch one or two fish despite throwing it over and over. And sharing our faith is a lot like that. Just keep throwing it out there. Eventually, it will catch with the person who is ready to receive it. And so as we move forward, as I think about this community and who we are to be, let me, let me encourage you. Who will you share the gospel with even this week? Has God brought somebody to mind while we're talking? He probably has. But if he hasn't, ask him to bring somebody to mind. And if he, if he does, pray for that person and then prepare yourself to share the gospel with him. And if he hasn't brought somebody to mind, say, Lord, all right, keep my mind really keen. Keep it, keep it fresh and, and precise so I am ready because I don't have somebody in mind this given day that I'm gonna talk to. Keep that in mind. And then also, as you think about sharing the gospel, extend this to the next step, right? They become a follower of Jesus Christ and then you disciple them which is a huge term and it has lots of layers to it. But let's just think real simply, as you follow Jesus Christ, say, hey, come and follow Jesus Christ the way I do. That's my approach with my literal, my own children because they're so little. Hey, they're watching, they're listening. Just follow Jesus Christ as I'm following Jesus Christ. And there's a lot that they're picking up on. It doesn't always have to be a specific lesson. So who will you diligently disciple this, this week or this new year? whoever it may be. So friends, let me just conclude and our, our uh, worship team, you can come up here because we're gonna conclude with a worship song to declare all this to God. But let us remember that today is not a finish line. It's a signal that our congregation's foundation has been set and now it's time to get to work with greater diligence, diligence, greater zeal, greater opportunity. And I believe God will give us the opportunity and he will give us the strength to do what we need to do in those moments. Let us know Christ and experience Christ and life in Christ and oneness with Christ and suffering with Christ and all that. And let us make disciples. Preaching the gospel, teaching the truths of the gospel, modeling a life changed by the gospel and reaching the world and teaching them to be like Jesus Christ. Those are our exhortations in this next step. Let me pray. Heavenly